ministry, if, if you would, open your Bibles to Luke chapter 14. Uh, and while you're, while you're turning there, I'll just give you a, a little bit of an overview of where we're going this morning. Uh, Mark said it well, I serve on the pastoral team of Covenant Fellowship, but my role is unique in that I almost 100% of my job is to lead a separate nonprofit we've established called Covenant Mercies, which exists to build partnerships with God's people in the developing world to care for orphans. So that is the primary mission of Covenant Mercies, and by God's grace, we do that mainly through, uh, or the centerpiece of our ministry is what we call our orphan sponsorship program, functions similarly to other sponsorship programs you may be familiar with. Uh, but we build partnerships with churches now in Uganda, Ethiopia, Zambia, and most recently Liberia uh, to care for fatherless children in their communities. Uh, over 1,700 children are now sponsored through our program, and by God's grace, he's putting new opportunities in front of us. So I look forward to telling you more about that on the other side of our time in the Word. Uh, but if you're with me in Luke chapter 14, I want to begin reading in verse 12. And just to set the scene, Jesus has been invited to a dinner party. He's at the table of a Pharisee. He, being Jesus, said to the man who had invited him, when you give a dinner or a banquet, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or your rich neighbors, lest they also invite you in return and you be repaid. But when you give a feast, invite the poor the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you, for you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. And Lord, we pray that you would bless the preaching of your word. We all know what it feels like to be on the receiving end of kindness that has strings attached. A kindness that seems to be motivated more out of a spirit of self-interest than out of a true spirit of generosity. Uh, to me, the classic example of this is some guys I'll refer to as the squeegee guys. I don't know if you've had this phenomenon in any urban areas uh, around here. Would Indianapolis be the, the place maybe where you'd go into town and, and you'd stop at a traffic light and as soon as you stop, these guys are upon your car and they're washing your windshield. And in Philadelphia, you know, we used to come in for, from the suburbs for sports events and these, oh wow, it really is true. The city of brotherly love. The welcoming committee is here and they're, they're washing our windows. This is amazing. Well, you would learn very quickly if you had that misconception that there was an expectation and, and some of these guys got good at even kind of halfway doing the job and then finding out whether you had anything for them to determine whether they would finish it. Uh, now, I don't blame the squeegee guys. Um, in fact, in some ways it's commendable. They're trying to do something. They're not just asking you for something. But my point is from the perspective of the recipient, there are certain forms of generosity that you can almost feel like you need to be on your guard against because ultimately they're nothing more than thinly veiled attempts to obligate you to do something similar in return. This reciprocity ethic, this idea that I'll scratch your back if you scratch mine, uh, was very strong in the Greco-Roman world that Jesus lived in. It was pervasive in Jewish society of the day as well. So Jesus, as he sits at the table of this Pharisee, knows well the mindset that he's addressing. One would act in a generous way toward others in order to elicit a similar generosity 
in return. And conversely, if if someone extended a kindness to you or an act of generosity, you would feel an obligation, even an ethical obligation, to reciprocate. Now, this reciprocity ethic may not be quite as prominent in in our American modern way of thinking, but it is undeniably present in our world today as well. It lies just beneath the surface in so many of our personal and social interactions. If we're honest, we really have to admit that there's not a whole lot we do in life that is disconnected from our own self-interest. And on certain levels, that's perfectly fine. Uh, I'm not here to suggest that uh, the, the goal of reciprocity is somehow inherently evil or an impure. There are many situations in which uh, it's, it's perfectly fine, even the highest goal. Think of the business context. All right? If you're in business, if, if I'm... Uh, producing a a good or a service, and you are happy to part with X number of dollars in exchange for that good and service, and I'm happy to provide it for that number of dollars, that really defines the ideal business transaction. And by the way, if that sounds like an endorsement of free free market economic principles, it is. Um, But that's not my point. My point is, is simply to say that reciprocity in and of itself is not evil or impure. However, As Jesus so often does, he comes to us here with questions that probe beneath the surface, into the depths of our hearts and our motivations, and push us beyond these natural human tendencies. Jesus calls us here to a selfless love that expends itself for others without regard for what they can do for us in return. And I probably don't need to tell you that this doesn't come naturally to us. In our sinful nature, we are bent toward doing things that are in our own self-interest and neglecting things that really have no, uh, no advantage to us, that don't offer any obvious benefit to us at all. And so against the grain of his own ancient culture, against the grain of our cultures of today, against the grain of our natural human tendencies and sinful nature. Jesus teaches us here that true Christian generosity goes beyond the bounds of reciprocity. In fact, one of the defining characteristics of generosity that's uniquely Christian, and by that I mean it's, it's uniquely driven by our faith, is its intentional focus on those who can do nothing to repay it. Jesus says, you want to know whether your love is truly Christian love? Love those who can do, have no capacity to love you in return. You want to know whether your generosity is like that of your Father in heaven? Give toward those who can do nothing to repay you. This is generosity in its purest form, and Jesus wants to be sure that it's a present and visible trait in the lives of his disciples. So in the balance of our time in the Word, I just want to draw out two uh, observations about this generosity that Jesus commends to us. Two two things that we can learn about this generosity through this text. Uh, Number one, it takes selfless, Christ-like initiative. This generosity takes selfless, Christ-like initiative. 
Now, contrary to the way that Jesus' words may come across to us at face value, he's not forbidding us from having our friends over or being generous toward our families and our loved ones. This Thanksgiving, you don't have to feel guilty that you're inviting your family over and and lavishing a big feast on everyone. Uh, If Jesus was commanding that, he would be commanding us to violate other scriptures that call us to love and be generous toward those who are, are closest to us. Remember, he's at the table of a Pharisee. He knows what their practices are. He knows what our human tendencies are, as we've just been reflecting on. So he's speaking in hyperbole here. He's he's using strong language to jar us out of our complacency, to jar us out of our comfort zone, and to make a point. So what point is Jesus making? Well, he's saying that as God's people, our generosity shouldn't be limited to that which is normal. Uh, It's normal to be generous toward those who can return the favor to us somehow. As disciples of Christ, we're called to be generous toward others, uh, specifically those who can't repay us. And I love this. We're called to do it precisely because they can't repay us. I just love the way Jesus explains the reason why we shouldn't invite our friends, our family, our rich neighbors who we might want to hang out with, as if it should be intuitive to us. He suggests, no, no, don't invite them to your dinner party, lest they also invite you and you be repaid. Now, I look at that and I say, well, yeah, that, that makes sense. I mean, God forbid if I bumped into Elon Musk and his wife and, hey, let's have you guys over for dinner. And, you know, they had a nice time at our place, so they invite us to their presumably palatial estate. And, you know, maybe after dinner, Elon says, hey, let's go up in SpaceX. This one's on me. Uh, you know, God forbid. That would be awful, right? That's a tragedy. No, Jesus is not suggesting that that would be a tragedy. What he's saying is... That's the way the world thinks. That's the way the world operates. If your generosity remains only within those bounds, what difference really has the grace of God made? Let's read again in verses 13 and 14. Jesus says, But when you give a feast, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed. Why? Because they cannot repay you. Notice he doesn't say, you'll be blessed even though they can't repay you, despite the fact that they can't repay you. No, you will be blessed because they cannot repay you. There's a cause and effect relationship here. The blessing for you is a direct direct result of the fact that you have selected as the object of your generosity those who cannot return the favor. As you take initiative toward those who cannot repay you, fully aware that they cannot repay you, God promises that he will repay you for that very same reason. And this, Jesus says, is one of the things that ought to characterize us as God's people and distinguish us from the world. This is a characteristic that differentiates Christian love from love that we might think of as natural or normal, even for those apart from Christ. Uh, Earlier in Luke's Gospel, Jesus spoke in similar terms when calling us to love even our enemies. Uh, Let's read together from Luke chapter 6, starting in verse 32. It'll come on the screen, so you don't need to turn there. Uh, "If, If you love those who love you, Jesus says, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. 
And if you lend to those from whom you expect to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners to get back the same amount. But love your enemies and do good and lend, expecting nothing in return. And your reward will be great and you will be sons of the Most High. For He is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. Be merciful even as your Father is merciful. Now, I want, I want you to follow the biblical logic here. How do we demonstrate that we are sons and daughters of the Most High? Well, it's not by merely doing the same things that are possible and even normal apart from faith. As Jesus might say, what credit is that to you? How does that distinguish you from the world? The world neglects to show kindness to those who can do nothing to repay it. Jesus says, not so with you. It shall not be so with us as his disciples. We demonstrate that we are children of our Father in heaven and disciples of his Son, Jesus, by taking initiative where it wouldn't be natural, where it wouldn't be normal for us to do so, by loving even our enemies. Think about that. I think we get so used to words like this rolling off of Jesus' tongue that it doesn't shock us the way it shows. Loving our enemies, loving the people that we would naturally hate. And by intentionally ensuring that our generosity extends to those who can do nothing to repay us. Now, let's bring the scene back to the Pharisees' table because there's a most profound accent placed on Jesus' exhortation in a simple fact. It's a fact that goes right over the heads of his original hearers there at the table with him, but we should see that it doesn't go over our heads this morning. That simple fact is this. The one who is reclined there at the table with them is himself God incarnate. He is there with them because he didn't consider equality with God a thing to be grasped, but humbled himself, made himself nothing, took the form of a servant, and took initiative toward those who could do nothing to repay him. Soon he will give all. He will endure death on a cross for those who could never repay him for his sacrifice. Now, if you're here this morning and you're not a Christian, maybe you're weighing the claims of Christ and the claims of Scripture on your life. You're exploring what the Christian faith is all about. It's important for you to understand there is nothing you can do to repay God. We sung about this this morning. I love the way Ben uh, led us through a little, a, a little reflection on that song, His Mercy is More. We don't come to Jesus as a way of repaying God for all the wrongs that we have done or repaying God for the kindness that he has shown us. If, if you are weighing the claims of Christ on your life this morning, you need to understand you come to Jesus as an act of faith, believing that his death on the cross was sufficient to cover the penalty for your sins and restore your relationship with God. So don't try to repay God. But for those of us who are already in a position of faith this morning, I trust you see the rich gospel truth that is bound up in what Jesus is calling us to here in this text. Be merciful 
as your heavenly Father is merciful. Take initiative toward those who can do nothing to repay you. Lavish them with love and generosity and kindness. Why? Because that's exactly what Jesus did when he left behind the riches of heaven and came to earth to seek and save lost sinners like you and me. The generosity Jesus commends to us takes selfless, Christ-like initiative toward those who can do nothing to repay it. Well, secondly, the, the second observation about this generosity is simply this. It's driven by faith. It, it's driven or fueled by faith. Now, please note that even as Jesus calls us to a generosity that's not self-interested, he simultaneously lifts our eyes to a reward that can only be seen through the eyes of faith. Again, verses 13 and 14. But when you give a feast, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you. For you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. Amazingly, as we put off this human tendency to be motivated by the things of this world and take initiative instead toward those who can do nothing to repay us in this world's terms, Jesus promises us that we will be rewarded in eternity. And this is a reward that can only be seen through the eyes of faith by, by simply trusting that what Jesus says to us here is rock-solid truth. That what we sacrifice in this life for those who can do nothing to repay us will accrue to our benefit in eternity. And this, brothers and sisters, is the great paradox of giving in the kingdom of God. It is a sacrifice to give toward those who can't repay you. We shouldn't pretend that it's not. It is a sacrifice. It will cost you something. It will cost you uh, the ability to use those funds for some other purpose that might serve you more in the here and now. But when you consider that sacrifice in light of the eternal reward Jesus promises us here, it really is no sacrifice at all. It's better thought of as an investment. And in a world with a devaluing dollar and a fluctuating stock market and cryptocurrency exchange fraudsters in the headlines, I can tell you, you can't make a more secure investment than this one. There are many sacrifices, when you think about it, that we make in life for a reward that we expect to receive later. I happen to be someone I love gardening. I loved every spring to get out there and get some dirt under my fingernails and get those vegetables in the ground that in just a couple of months we will enjoy. Uh, a few years ago, I got into the idea of, uh, ju I just began to love the idea of cultivating perennial fruit-bearing bushes. And so we have 11 blueberry bushes now around our property. And so I dove into all the research and how to make these bushes flourish. And by the way, you should research that if, if you're going to do it. Uh, they, they love acidic soil. My first try, the thing just died. Uh, <laughs> the blueberry bushes love acidic soil, and my soil was very much alkaline, so I I had to basically replace all the soil to, to put these bushes in. And then, you know, you, you they have very shallow roots, so you have to mulch around the, the top a lot. But really, other than that, they're pretty much plug and play once you put them in. 
um, they will serve you maybe for 50 to 75 years and, and produce fruit for you. Uh, there was one other piece of advice that I, I learned was very important when I planted those blueberry bushes, and that's that in the first three seasons, it's recommended that you pinch the blossoms off the plants. And so what that means is you're probably aware the blossoms are what become the berries after the, the bees come and do their miraculous work. And so those first three seasons, you're supposed to just pinch the blossoms off and drop them on the ground. That means they're going to produce no fruit this year. And that plant will just put all of its energy into developing a strong base, a strong root system. And again, it'll serve you for many, many years after that. So I, I took that advice and uh, said, okay, first year, easy pinch the blossoms. Second year, all right, there's a few more blossoms, but pinch them off. What I really remember is that third season. Uh, it had been a few years by then. Um, the, the bushes were looking strong and healthy, uh, a lot more blossoms there. I, I could have had a couple of handfuls of blueberries that season and really enjoyed them, but I remember just disciplining myself and saying, no, let me do what I've been told, pinch these blossoms off. Well, let me tell you, last year we, we counted, we we picked 128 pints of blueberries uh, last season. So I would say that advice has paid off. We are freezing blueberries. We're giving them away. We're canning blueberries. We're, I, I eat so many blueberries, you'd be shocked that I'm not blue. Um, <laughs> but here's the point. Jesus is asking us here, do you want to be satisfied with a couple of handfuls of blueberries now? Or will you believe me? That if you make that small sacrifice now, I am preparing for you a reward that you cannot even fathom. This is a reward that can only be seen through the eyes of faith. And I believe God is pleased in a special way. He's uniquely glorified when we simply live our lives in light of the reality that he has told us. We simply take him at his word that this is truth. We live our lives in light of that. When we fix our eyes not on the things that are seen, but on the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. See, Jesus is lifting our eyes here to that unseen reward, which though unseen, is every bit as real as the tangible sacrifice. It's only far more lasting. Several years ago, I became aware of a couple in my home church who were sponsoring seven children through our orphan sponsorship program. Uh, and that number wasn't especially notable. There are others who are sponsoring seven and even more. And by the way, I don't go looking through our database to find out how many children my friends are sponsoring. I, I just stumbled upon this information. But once I stumbled upon that information, it took me aback because I know this couple. I know uh, what kind of lifestyle they're living. They're not by any means wealthy uh, by American standards. And so once I, once I had that information, I just felt like I need to drop them a note in the mail, just tell them how much I appreciate the sacrifices that they're making. So I did that dropped that note in the mail. Sometime later, we bumped into each other, and uh, they told me how that had transpired through the years. Um, like many of us, they started by sponsoring one, maybe two children when the program was first launched. And then year by year, as the husband, who's the breadwinner in this family, would get an increase, uh, they just kind of based on the principle that God provided well for us last year, and now he's given us an increase. Let's share a bit of that increase with another child in need. So uh, on that pattern, they had just added one new child almost every year through the years. 
Uh, by the way, every time I give this message, I check in our database again. This couple is now up to sponsoring 21 children <laughs> in our program. Now, my point isn't to suggest that all of us should be sponsoring 21 children or even that all of us should follow that pattern of adding one new child each year. My point in, in raising them anonymously as an example uh, is, is simply this. They are not rich by American standards. There are many ways they could be using those funds to enhance their own standard of living and they wouldn't even be keeping up with the Joneses. Nobody would take note and say, wow, that's really self-indulgent. But this is not a couple that's interested in keeping up with the Joneses. This is a couple whose eyes are fixed not on the things that are seen, but on the things that are unseen. They're sacrificing now for a reward that's being kept in heaven for them, where moth and rust do not destroy, where thieves do not break in and steal. And I don't know, I don't know about you, but I want to live my life in light of that reality as well. When I think of Jesus' exhortation here to be generous toward those who can do nothing to repay us, I can't help but think of the children in our orphan sponsorship program. Uh, if you were to decide to sponsor children through our program, I can virtually guarantee you it will be nearly impossible that they will ever be able to do anything to extend, uh, to, to repay you for that generosity. Well, that's exactly the kind of G uh, giving that Jesus is commending to us in this passage. It's, it's precisely this kind of generosity that Jesus commends to us and that he says that he will repay at the resurrection of the just. Now that phrase, the resurrection of the just, just immediately puts me into, in mind of, of Matthew 25 where Jesus foretells of that final day when we will stand before him and he'll say, enter into your reward for when I was Hungry, you fed me. When I was thirsty, you gave me something to drink. When I was naked, you clothed me. When I was sick, you visited me. And we'll say to him, Jesus, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or naked or sick? And he'll say, even as you've done it to the least of these, my brethren, you've done it unto me. Now that's thoroughly biblical. This next part is just from my imagination. But I just imagine... There will be no time limitations. I just imagine Jesus might pull a young lady up by his side in that moment and say, this is Chalcedon. She was born in Ethiopia. She was HIV positive from birth. She lost both of her parents to AIDS. She was on a trajectory to die of AIDS herself. But you gave when there was nothing she could do to repay you. And that brought a lady that only not, that not only brought good health to her and long life, but it brought a lady named Helena into her life. And Helena led her to faith. Chalcedon is here today because you gave when there was nothing she could do to repay you. Or you might pull a young man named Charles up by his side and say, I want to introduce you to Charles. Charles was a student at Lighthouse Christian School in Zambia that you helped to develop. And Charles, at a young age, gave his life to Jesus at a VBS. And he lived his life for Christ, and when he went to college on a scholarship and became a teacher himself, he was able to influence the lives of so many others. And it all started because you gave to him when there was nothing he could give you in return. Brothers and sisters, think of the ripple effects 
throughout eternity. Think of the children and grandchildren. This is something I, I like to do just every now and then, just a little thought experiment and, and dream about what might happen in the future. Think of, of the children and grandchildren of the children we are sponsoring now who will one day know the love of Jesus because somebody shared the love of Jesus with their grandfather or with their mother when they were just young children uh, from a family that had been decimated and needed help. Well, I believe that part of our reward in eternity will be the joy of seeing with the eyes of eternity the full eternal impact that our acts of generosity and kindness in this life are able to achieve. It takes the eyes of faith to see that in the here and now. And I couldn't be more grateful to God for the, the many uh, for the faith that God has given to so many uh, to invest into our program and into our children for more than 20 years now. So at this point, I'll, I'll turn the corner and just start to introduce you to uh, the ministry of Covenant Mercies. When we began in 2002, we were launched as a ministry in, in early 2002. Uh, we knew that the Lord was leading us to serve orphans internationally, and we had a vision for developing a kind of ministry that would be in, in close collaboration with indigenous local churches in the areas uh, in, in the developing world. But we didn't know exactly where the Lord was leading us at that time. Uh, we didn't know exactly what our collaboration would look like. But by the end of 2002, riding on the coattails of a relationship Sovereign Grace was developing with a, a small church in a small rural Ugandan village named Nagongera, uh, we made our first foray into Africa, and it became immediately evident that we were home, that this is where the Lord was calling us. Uh, this is at a time when HIV AIDS was running rampant on the African continent and the antiretroviral drug therapy which had revolutionized care for HIV patients here and in most of the Western world was not yet available there. Uh, one of my enduring memories from that first visit to Uganda was being introduced to a lady named Gladys. Uh, Gladys had lost her husband to AIDS she herself was HIV positive, and you're looking at a photo of Gladys with me circa 2002, that very first visit to Uganda. Uh, Gladys was HIV positive herself, left with two small children to take care of, and uh, because of the lack of treatment, uh, was just on a trajectory to lose her own life to AIDS as well. Well, sadly, that's exactly what happened. I only got to see her one more time in 2003, she was bedridden, and then the next time, by the next time I was there, the Lord had taken her home, and her small children were left in the care of their grandmother. Now, Gladys's daughter, Mercy Amanya, was six years old at the time of her mother's passing, and by God's grace, she was among the first 248 children that very first month when we launched our sponsorship program. She was among those children. Uh, when we began in early 2003. And this is a good opportunity to just pause and explain to you how the program works. This is really, uh, this family is really a prototypical uh, family that we would sponsor. So uh, in all cases, the children are fatherless. Some cases, the mother is still alive and we'll come alongside them uh, with our church partner to support that family unit. In many other cases, they've lost both parents and it's an elderly grandparent or an aunt or an uncle who's taken them in. 
And then we build teams within our partner churches that go out into their own community to provide some basic care to those children and families in that extended family context. Uh, and um, essentially, the, the main prongs of that practical care are nutritional support, medical support, and education. And we're going to talk a lot more about that educational piece going forward. But as Mercy grew up under the care of her grandmother, sponsored through our program, um, this young lady applied herself diligently in school, and the Lord really blessed her efforts. Uh, by the time she graduated from secondary school, which is high school, uh, by the end of 2016, we had just recently established what we call our Mapalo Scholarship uh, our Mapalo Scholarship Fund for Higher Education. Uh, that fund was, uh, was established to assist kids who are graduating from high school through our sponsorship program, uh, those who are eligible to go on for university studies. Um, so our sponsorship program takes children all the way through the end of high school or the vocational school equivalent. And then the Mapalo Fund we have made available uh, that they really have to earn. They have to apply for this and, and show why they're a good investment to go on to university. That program had just been established in 2016 when she graduated from secondary school. Uh, she applied, Mercy did, and uh, became one of our first Mapalo scholars that very next year. And uh, just to fast forward to a few months ago, she has just graduated from Uganda Christian University with a degree in law. Um, I, Mercy got a hold of my email address last year, and have I lost my, hey, I thought something felt different. <laughs> Mercy got a hold of my email address uh, last year and, and sent me an email and reminded me that she was Gladys's daughter. That completely had escaped me, and uh, I was aware of her as one of our Mapalo scholars. So we just had a wonderful time reflecting on that, and I asked her to send me more reflections on her life and, and what the Lord had done in her life. So I'm going to read to you some excerpts from her emails, just giving glory to God. Um, she says, these are her words, by the time I started understanding, I was staying with my mother at home and she was sickly. I didn't know she was HIV positive. Life became harder each and every day. I stayed in a family of many people and sometimes we could go without food. Unfortunately, she passed on in 2003 and a big gap was, in my life was created, leaving me and my brother to stay with our grandmother. When I got into the program, I was in primary two, that's second grade, and that's how my new life got started. I continued to stay with my grandmother because it was nearer to the program offices to get immediate medical attention because I was sickly all the time, getting severe asthma attacks. I stayed with her until I completed my primary level. When joining my secondary level, high school, I was admitted into one of the best schools in Tororo. This was something so great that had never happened in my life. I never stopped working hard. I never forgot about God because my late mother introduced me and made me know who God is and the great things God can do. And he did that by bringing covenant mercies. I never stopped saying thank you, God, because I knew it was him since day one. After I completed my high school in 2016, it was the same year the Mapalo Scholarship started. I applied for the scholarship, and just when I thought it was done, God showed me that every, new, every end is just a new beginning to him. Who knew this young girl of primary two would reach this far in life? And I just love the way she concludes. God did know. I can testify that he never forsakes his children. 
He answers prayers. His words are promises he keeps. He has been so good to me right from the early days of my life. I believe it was the timing of God because until now, I'm still witnessing his goodness. Now, isn't it amazing to hear a young woman whose life hasn't exactly been a bed of roses testifying to the goodness of God in her life. He has been so good to me, she said, right from the early days of my life. Well, after, after establishing our work in Uganda for several years, we built partnerships in a few other African nations, uh, including Zambia, Ethiopia, most recently in Liberia, to join hands with God's people there in caring for fatherless children in their communities as well. And it was really through our partnership with Wilbrod and Ziki Chanda. Uh, Wilbrod was the founding pastor of Christ Community Church that is now a Sovereign Grace Church. Uh, and Will and Ziki together uh, founded Lighthouse Christian School with whom Covenant Mercies has partnered through the years. Uh, sadly, we lost Wilbrod a couple of years ago. Uh, Zicky continues to serve as the director of Lighthouse Christian School. She does an excellent job. That's, that's our Lean and Mean Covenant Mercies team. There's, of course, a whole faculty uh, that teaches the children in school as well. Um, but it was really through our partnership with the Chandas and Lighthouse Christian School that we came to uh, learn or that, that we learned the lesson that, wow, this uh, investment directly into the schools that our children will be attending can be a particularly strategic investment. From day one in our program, education was always critically important. Most of the children would drop out of school in elementary school uh, if not for a sponsor giving so that their school fees could be paid so that the family is relieved of that burden. Uh, you know, we can put the child in a uniform, we can put them in a classroom with some school supplies and things like that, which we always have done through our sponsorship program. But in those cases, in those days, maybe we'd be putting the child into a classroom with 100 other students and only a few textbooks to share. So you can imagine the, the quality of education they would receive. What we learned by partnering with the Chandas to build and develop Lighthouse Christian School is that that investment can be so valuable and so strategic because it not only improves the quality of education our children receive, but it also gives us, as Covenant Mercies and, and our team on the ground, uh, many more opportunities to uh, bring the gospel in their lives. It gives us a shaping influence on their character development as they're in our classrooms five days a week instead of getting uh, some brief times to interact with them throughout each month. And so... What we have done with Lighthouse is uh, through the years as that school has grown and developed, we've bought land, we've built the school buildings, and we've provided them with a, with a high quality infrastructure, and that has become something we're investing in more and more, which I'll, I'll tell you more about in just a moment. But first, I want you to see a video of a young man who is now a graduate of this program in Ndola, Zambia. His name is Charles Mwanza. So let's go ahead and roll that. My name is Charles. I'm a teacher of math and religious education. During my early grades, I think the time I was in the third grade, I had challenges with school, with my education, because my uncle and aunt couldn't afford to take me to school. Charles lost both of his parents when he was a little boy. He moved in to stay with his uncle and aunt. But even at that time, 
they could not afford to pay for his school fees. We started sponsoring him, I think when he was in fourth grade. But he proved to be a very good uh, young man in terms of academics and even his, uh, uh, just the way he took, he, he carried himself, he was just such a humble young man. By the coming of Covenant Messies, they helped me with the sponsorship program and I went back to school. After getting the sponsorship, I had hope again and I knew that I'm going, I'm going to finish school. Um, the time I was sponsored, it, it gave me hope because the time I wasn't sponsored, we had challenges uh, in terms of paying school fees, uh, buying of uniforms. Being a teacher is something that I just uh, dreamt of even the time I was young. I don't know how it just came in because it was just in me. So at seventh grade, he was able to pass to go to high school. Fourth grade, he had very good results and uh, he was able to go to uh, a Crossway College of Education. And uh, through Mapalo Scholarship, Charles was able to graduate from the co teacher college uh, of education. Upon my completion uh, of my secondary school, I thought that was the end because that's what I knew that uh, once I'm done with grade 12, that would be the, the end of it. So receiving the news about um, Apollo uh, gave me another hope and I knew that this time around I think I'm going to achieve my dreams and I applied for it and I was awarded this great, great opportunity. I was sponsored and I, I even uh, did my course as a teacher. During my sponsorship program, uh, the time I was in school with the desire of becoming a teacher, I've always been dreaming of teaching at Lyrask. When we now started the grade eight class, I just remember uh, Charles had already graduated from teacher college. So we asked him to come over for the interview and uh, he came and through the interview, he proved himself that he could do this job, he could get this job. And that's how we hired uh, Charles and he started working here at Lighthouse Christian School. Being at Lighthouse yeah, as a teacher, I think this is an opportunity which will give hope also to, to my fellow friends who are being sponsored. Looking at me again, like I said, uh, gives them a hope as well and the feeling that if this one did it, we can also do it. So with what has transpired in my life and me personally being a teacher, I think I would use also the same opportunity to preach Christ to my students as well. Saying words alone can't really express how I feel uh, towards God, for what he has been doing in my life, uh, the people that he has brought in my life, my family, people at Lighthouse um, and Ziki, for the support and the encouragement towards school. Uh, even my sponsors, it's not easy sponsoring a child whom I've never even met before. So I'm really grateful for that. I count it to be a blessing. That's why I'm saying that um, I'm a living testament. Yes. So thank you so much. so rewarding to see young people like Mercy and Charles now graduating and, and taking their place as uh, strong Christian young adults in their communities. Uh, well, our fruitful partnership with Lighthouse Christian School is one of the many reasons we were excited in 2019 to break ground on a new school project in Western Uganda, where we also have over 500 sponsored children. Uh, and the school is, is called Hope Community Primary School. We broke ground in 2019, and by God's grace, we were able to start offering classes in 2020. 
Uh, Hope Community, I'm skipping over the COVID era. Hope Community is now, uh, now has 172 of our sponsored children in grades pre-K through grade three. You're looking at the kindergarten class on day one of school in January 2020. Um, and uh, this year, because we're, we're adding one new grade each year, which, by the way, is exactly how we grew the uh, Lighthouse Christian School student body to around 370 now from grade pre-K through 9 at Lighthouse. Uh, we're now up to pre-K through 3 at Hope Community. And our plan next year is to then those third graders will be our first fourth grade class and we'll keep expanding in that way. So this year we had another construction project on our hands because we're out of classroom space. So we needed another classroom building and uh, you're now looking at a, a drone shot from up above the campus. Um, our third classroom building is being built to the left there. You see the, the uh, long rectangular building that's not yet painted. That's the third classroom building, so our grade four class will be in there, and that'll give us space for a couple more years of growth as well. And you see the other unpainted building, the two-story building there that's built into the hillside. Um, that is for a computer lab and a library. So we're, we're continuing to expand the uh, ability of the school to invest into the children's education there. Uh, now, this recognition of the, the value of Christian education and making this direct investment into the schools that our children are going to is one of the many reasons we were excited to launch a new partnership uh, last year with Grace Life Church in Liberia, just outside the capital city of Monrovia. Uh, you're looking at Sonny, who's the first employee of our program there with a couple of our sponsored children in front of their home. Uh, this church, Grace Life Church, is part of the Sovereign Grace family and, and increasingly uh, the, they just have a big vision for planting churches and developing a region of churches there in Liberia and in West Africa. Uh, they also have a big vision for providing better educational options for the families in their community. Uh, it's, a, it's a very intensely felt need of the community and so this church had already built temporary buildings onto their church compound and uh, really in a, um, in a rudimentary way had set up the classroom so that they could launch the school. Uh, they're further along, in other words, than, uh, than Lighthouse was when we began partnering with them. But we jumped in with, with Grace Life Church and Grace Life Academy last year to sponsor our first 50 children, 5-0, uh, to go to Grace Life Academy to receive their education. We're adding to that number now. And uh, by God's grace, we also were able to purchase a plot of land near the church. I mean, a very short walk from the church campus, which will become, Lord willing, the campus of Grace Life Academy. And in fact, we've just broken ground on that. So this will be the first building for Grace Life Academy there uh, in, in Liberia. Well, folks, I am out of time, but I am so grateful, so grateful to God that we enter our third decade of ministry in Covenant Mercies, not simply looking back at God's grace and the amazing things he's done over the last 20 years, which we do. We give him glory and we thank him for all the ways that he has, uh, that he's changed the lives of children like Mercy and Charles. Uh, but I'm so thrilled that he's also... It, as we reach our 21st year, uh, place new opportunities before us. 
Uh, and these are opportunities we can only take advantage of because of the generosity of God's people. So I'm thrilled to be here with you this morning to place these opportunities in front of you today as well. If you'd like to consider joining hands with Covenant Mercies in any way, you probably saw the display table in the lobby. Uh, I'll be back there afterwards. I'd be happy to, to answer any questions that you may have. Um, there are profiles of children who are awaiting sponsors, so if you wanted to consider sponsoring a child, you can actually uh, pick the child or children that you would like to sponsor. Um, and I'll, I'm happy to talk to you about the other school projects and those things as well. By the way, we don't fund the, the school construction and all of those things through those sponsorship funds. If, if you decide to sponsor a child, your giving is a true one-to-one -one correlation with your gift and your child and the needs of that particular child. Uh, we raise funds in other ways for the school projects, and so if you're interested in talking about that, I'm happy to. We also have merchandise uh, that we sell as one of the many ways that we raise funds for those things. But listen, I'm not here to uh, suggest that partnering with Covenant Mercies is the only way to apply this word. I pray that the Holy Spirit will be applying this word in all of our hearts very broadly this morning. Uh, regardless of whether you decide to join hands specifically with Covenant Mercies today, uh, may we all grow in our desire to be generous disciples who exercise selfless Christ-like initiative toward those who could never repay us, knowing, knowing with the rock-solid confidence of faith that God will repay us at the resurrection of the just. Let's pray.